Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today, we finish up our short series looking at the individuals from Scripture whose lives serve as pillars by which we can see the gospel and godliness lived out. Today's pillar is the Apostle Peter. And we're going to take a very different approach by looking not so much at Peter's successes or initiatives, but instead, we're going to examine the process of growth through some of his most significant failures and flaws. Thanks for listening today as we seek to pay attention to the cracks in the pillars. It's not very difficult. If you look out into the woods, you can see these trees that stand as pillars mighty and immovable. Uh, One of the things that uh, you would notice if you ever have a chance to harvest a tree or cut one down, and I brought a cross section of one here uh, this morning, is that you can uh, can count the rings of the tree and see, see how they grow over time. But one of the things that's pretty incredible, if you look at the rings of a tree, is to see that somewhere back in the past, there have been cracks or wounds or fissures that have occurred within the tree's Uh, lifetime and its growth that sequentially have had an influence and an effect on how that tree has shaped over time. On this particular cut that I brought this morning, uh, there's one spot, and you're welcome to come look at it later on after the service, but you can see that there's a divot that came years into its life, midlife of this tree, that after that every ring followed the pattern until you can look at the bark actually had to warp in behind it. Now, these pillars like trees are only a metaphor for the pillars that we've been studying on these Sunday mornings. We've been looking primarily from a passage in Galatians where Paul says that those reputed or esteemed as pillars in the church, Peter and James and John, were those that he went to to talk because that term pillar shows them to be a bulwark of strength and stability and confidence within the church. It is good for us to look at their lives. It is good for us to examine those things that made them strong, but I think we would be doing only a half-truth if we only ever examined their successes because every single one of the pillars for us in Scripture is a flawed person. Every single one of them have cracks. And those challenges that they face, those mistakes, those flaws within their growth influenced how they understood God, and most importantly, and this is what I want us to really take away this morning, influenced how they matured such that we can learn from them. We're going to look at one of the most famous pillars of all this morning, Peter. Now, ah, Peter's Peter's our favorite, right? We can all identify with Peter. Uh, We're going to look at a passage primarily a primary passage this morning that comes out of the book of First Peter. But before we turn and read that passage, I want to introduce to you the three primary flaws within Peter's life. Uh, we're going to examine those kind of a little bit like a Bible study. I'm going to go to the passage. We're going to read through it. A very short comment on it. But then once we kind of gather for ourselves those three big flaws, we're going to take those as being influences in Peter's life and then go and look and see what he wrote. And how Peter, over the time of maturity and development, changed. And how those flaws influenced his life and shaped his own maturity. Now, a couple things about Peter. Peter was the first disciple who Jesus called. Uh, He called him when he was out fishing. Uh, Him and his brother Andrew. 
And then, uh, then Jesus called two more disciples who were part business partners, partners with Peter, uh, James and John. They worked for their dad Zebedee, so it was the Zebedee Fishing Company. And here Jesus pulled away essentially four workers. You got to wonder how much uh, dad Zebedee liked Jesus for that, uh, pulling these guys away. I'm assuming that he was in, in favor of it. A couple of things about Peter. He was the very first one to claim Jesus as Messiah in uh, Matthew chapter 16. He was the very first one to walk out on the water when Jesus called him. And he was the very first one to be restored after Jesus's resurrection. Peter was a guy who liked to be first. He was one of the very few disciples who was married. He, he had a family. Uh, that's, that's something different that we see in Paul's life and some of the other apostles' life. But Peter had some major flaws. The first one that I want to share with you and that I want us to look at is how Peter denied Jesus. So the very first crack in the pillar uh, is a denial of Jesus. And the source of this in Peter's life was fear. That was the source of it. Uh, I invite you to look with me at the story. We're going to look in Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 14, right toward, toward the very end. Jesus has been arrested. And Jesus now finds himself um, under the jurisdiction of the high priests. And here now being prepared for this next early morning on Good Friday to be crucified. Peter is there. He's in the courtyard. So Mark chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 66. If you are with me, say amen. If you're still searching, say, God help me. All right, here we go. We're together. Mark chapter 14, verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and he went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow was one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses on himself. And he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Now, this is this is Peter we're talking about. Oh, this is like a gut punch. This is the guy who's first. This is the guy who at the Last Supper said, even if everyone else denies you, I won't. I'm willing to die with you. That's the confidence that we put in this guy. What a pillar. Except when fear shows up. Because fear revealed in Peter's life these cracks that were there all along. Uh, think with me how this escalated in Peter's life. Do you remember the first person to accuse him? It says it was a servant girl of the high priest. Now, Jesus was in the high priest's custody. 
So, yeah, this was a direct connection to implicate Peter such that Peter was going to be in cuffs in two seconds right after this. Servant girl snooping around. He denies it, right? And then he goes outside. And then, I don't know if you caught this, the servant girl doesn't say to Peter, she starts saying to everyone else. Do you guys know the danger of a mob? Do you, do you guys know the way in which people can be swayed and controlled and how effective fear can be to challenge your values when a mob starts to show up because that's the third thing that happens it changes on the third one it's no longer the servant girl do you know who is accusing him now it's the people all around him and you saw peter's response right he starts to he starts to swear because you can see how this is getting it continues to escalate peter here is not denying jesus because he doesn't think he knows who jesus is He's denying Jesus because he's afraid for his life. That's his first crap. Let's look at the second one in the pillar. Uh, this one is going to show up in two passages. The first one, we have to turn to the book of Galatians. In the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul is going to write to the church regarding the importance of the purity of the gospel. Uh, the, there was an influence in the church in the churches surrounding Galatia where they were introducing false teachings, saying that you could be saved by your works, by good deeds. You just get circumcised, and that was a component of salvation. And Paul is saying that's a, that is a, such a pollution of the gospel, you no longer have the gospel. So that's the situation that's going on. This is to which Paul is writing. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. And it's, it's a confrontation. Galatians 2.11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, all right, I got to pause here because you're going to miss it unless you know what's going on. Antioch is a Gentile city. So think Gentile, not Jewish. So different customs, different uh, way of speaking, different foods. Um, Antioch is where there is a, a growing church, but it's a Gentile city. James is the pastor in Jerusalem. So almost all the Christians in James's church were what nationality, do you think? Not Gentile, but they're Jewish. So here you have Peter hanging out with these Gentiles in Antioch, and then James brings some Jewish buddies up from Jerusalem. Let's continue now, verse 12. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Verse 14. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them, You're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Now, I don't want to lose you on this. There's a lot of background here. To break it down as simply and quickly as I can, Peter is functioning out of a crack in his life called bias. 
this is a uh, this is a crack that leads to things that are are pretty terrible in our world. Uh, they they go by the names prejudice. They go by the names racism. Give me just a minute to speak to you about racism. Ra- racism is pretty p- prevalent in our uh, news in our world today. You'll see it all over. It has, in many instances, become hijacked where it isn't showing up as though it was, and yet racism still exists today. Now, when I begin talking about something that's controversial, sometimes people don't hear what I'm actually saying, so please listen closely to what I'm saying. I don't want you to misquote me or uh, or because or, we're talking about something pretty controversial here. Um, racism is only one of three forms of discrimination. People can be discriminated based upon their socioeconomic status. That's called classism. They could be discriminated based upon their culture. That's called culturalism. And the third is they could be discriminated because of their ethnicity. That's called racism. Racism is evil. Not all discrimination is evil. In fact, we are called to be people who discriminate between good and evil. So discrimination in and of itself is not evil, but racism is. Peter is struggling with racism because of two reasons. Learned and innate. So he has two forms of racism. And for us, uh, before I explain those real quick, we got to look at one other passage. So you see what's happening here in um, in Antioch, right, with Paul and Peter. Um, turn with me to the book of Acts now. At, so turn back in your New Testament, just a couple of books, uh, to Acts chapter 10. And what you have going on in Acts chapter 10 is the Lord speaking to Peter, preparing him to go to a Gentile whose name is Cornelius. And in a vision, God tells Peter that he can now eat meat that is otherwise considered unclean for Jewish people, meaning he's breaching one of these segregation type of issues. So the Jewish person is now going to interact with Gentile customs. Peter says, and I'm in Acts chapter 10, look with me in verse 14. He says, surely not, Lord, Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And I'm not going to read the whole story for you. I'd encourage you to take time. Read Acts chapter 10 when you get a chance. Basically, this is what occurs. Peter goes to Cornelius, a Gentile, Peter being a Jew, and Peter shares with him the message of the good news. But that was a huge step of faith in Peter's life because Peter had two forms of racism existing, like a crack in his life. Implicit bias, implicit racism. This is the kind that you have and you may not know that you have. Let let me say something here. Again, you got to listen very close to my words. Bias is not always bad. It's human nature to want to identify with people similar to you. But one problem is unexamined bias. You, You have biases. I have biases. What we need to make sure of is that we are examining those and that they are never moving to the place of racism like they were in Peter's life. He had that because we see it 
in Galatians 2. It has to do with the meal, right? When, when it was just the Gentiles, Peter was fine with that. But when those Jewish buddies showed up, all those innate, implicit biases, they showed up once more, and he, he started to gravitate back once again to Jewish customs, which is a perversion of the gospel. But Peter had a second kind of racism, and it was learned, and it was because of his traditions. And this is what we see showing up in Acts chapter 10. The tradition was, we don't eat certain foods, and people who do are unclean. That is a form of racism. Now, I need you to know this. Racism was the very first problem in the early church. Before the deity of Jesus was in question, before the doctrine of the Trinity was in question, the church was not united between Jew and Gentile. All right, I'm about ready to get off my soapbox here, okay? Um, You and I, we've seen it in the news, right? We've seen it. Your pastor is calling to the church, asking you, with your biases, please examine them. And if you're still in Acts, turn with me to verse 34 of chapter 10, because I want you to see what Peter says. This is awesome. Verse 34 of Acts 10, he says, Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true... Do you know what that phrase is? That's like, the, if, you, if it was a cartoon, that'd be the light bulb going ding, right? That's, that's what Peter's saying right now. Ding, I'm getting it. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. This is awesome because you know what this is? This is Peter encountering his implicit and his traditional biases and examining them according to the gospel. But here's the bad news. This happened before Galatians chapter 2, which means Peter still reverted back once more. And sometimes the way we've grown up is so ingrained in our hearts and minds, we don't even, we don't even realize it. Here's, I'm going to move on after this, but my call to you is please examine and then re-examine implicit biases to make sure you get that light bulb moment like Peter and that your bias, though bias, can be good does not ever lead a child of God towards racism. If you're with me on that, please say amen. Alright, so let's move on. Now that's the, the second crack in his life was bias. Here's the third. Peter misunderstood the Messiah. To see this, we have to go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. He misunderstood the Messiah and the crack in his life that this reveals is Peter's fear of lack of control. He wanted control over his situations. Any, any, any control freaks in church today? Anybody here that says, yep, I'm a control freak. I got to raise my hand too, right? Uh, then guess what? You share, you share, uh, my sister's pointing at me, I think. Yeah. Um, you share one of the cracks that Peter has in his life. So uh, uh, Matthew in chapter 16, uh, you, you have uh, just a little bit earlier uh, in verse 16, so 16, 16, P- Peter, Simon Peter said, answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, at this point, we would all be like, he gets it. Yeah, Peter, we are on Peter's team, right? Peter gets it, except he misunderstood what Messiah meant. And we know this because if you jump down to verse 21, watch what happens. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and that he must be killed 
and on the third day raised to life. Verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, you got some guts on you to do that. Let me just say, you're going to take Jesus aside and rebuke Jesus? Look what he says. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. I'd be willing to bet every one of us has this crack in our life somewhere. It's so easy to think through the things that are important to man against that which is important to God. Having the mind of man versus the mind of God. So, three cracks in Peter's life that we're looking at this morning. The first is fear. The second is bias. And the third is a fear of a a lack of control. He, He was control freak. Now we can move to our passage. So, please turn to the book of 1 Peter. And I'm going to, just for time, I'm going to move as quick as I can through this, so buckle your seatbelts. 1 Peter chapter 4. What we're going to do is read through it, and then I'm going to uh, give you three points of application from this text that speak directly to the maturing process in Peter's life on these three cracks. So here we go. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore... Be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do so as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves... He should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Church, this is a sweet passage to preach right here. This is, this is awesome. Let me, let me break down for you three points of application. When you in your life face fear, The answer is prayer. That's the answer. When you face fear, you ought to hit your knees and pray. And Peter gives us some indication for this. And by the way, you got to know the guy writing this is the same guy who denied Jesus. So he gets it. I mean, we're not not getting this from somebody who had, uh, I I know the academic answer for this is fun, blah, blah, blah. Right? No. Uh, This dude lived through it. This guy has experiential uh, uh, wounds. He's, he, he could show you the scars from battle that prove what he's saying is true. He gives us two ways of approaching prayer. He says, therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled. If you were to read those in Greek, those are imperatives. So these are, these are commands to the church. Let me explain the first one. To be clear-minded means so, well, it, it, it means you're, you're careful with influence in your life. Think with me for a moment here. When you're afraid, you'll believe anything. In fact, this is a strategy, I think, of the evil one, right? To, to get people to do things they shouldn't do by inciting fear and therefore changing their beliefs. Like, 
let, let's take a couple examples. Let's say you're watching the football game and your team is losing. You're afraid they're going to lose. Well, when I was in school, one of the things we would do are these little superstitious type of, well, if you wear your hat just a funny way or if you put your shirt on inside out, that does nothing, right? You, you, your, your mind is being corrupted here. You're being influenced in ways that you shouldn't. Um, ancient cultures used to have a fear of what they thought were the gods having to do with the climate and the weather. And so they would create these little totems to wear or these types of clothes they would wear to appease the gods. They were influenced by what? By fear. So their minds were polluted. Um, even in our world today, you can spread fear and influence people's minds. I would... I would submit to you, a lot of that is happening right now in an election year. So I'm not going to go any further on that other than to say, you are called to be clear-minded, not influenced by crazy craziness, all right? That's, that's, the first, that's the first command. The second command has to do with control. So it's be self-controlled. Uh, we have two puppies in our house. One, one is, is older and the other is a puppy. And when you let the older one out to do their business, um, he sits there and lets you put on the leash so he doesn't run off into the street. But the puppy, guess what the puppy does? Just tears out into the yard and then runs back and runs back and runs back. Self-control? What do you think? No, no self-control. Let me wrap this up for you. When you have fear in your life, you will be tempted to both be influenced in ways that affect your mind with rubbish and you will tend to give in to things that show a lack of self-control. Peter says, when fear shows up, you need to pray. And the characterization of your prayer needs to be clear-minded and self-controlled. You with me on this? Okay. Second, if you're facing bias in your life, right? I, I'm kind of inclined towards one or the other, right? If you're, if you're inclined towards favoritism like you shouldn't be, the answer is love. The answer is love. You're going to need me to say that like six more times to let it just sink in, right? Because everybody has a version of this in their lives. And as soon as I say love, you're fine to write that down, but to actually do it is a little bit harder. Let, let me show you in the text what he says. It's in verse uh, 9. Peter says, offer hospitality to one another. Now, I don't particularly like that translation. The word hospitality is a conjunction of two Greek words, and it's not a verb in Greek. It's an adjective. So uh, the two words is one is phileo, which is the Greek word for love. In fact, a unique kind of love, familial love, brother, brotherly love. You've heard of Philadelphia, right? What is that? The city of? Yeah. So the first part of the word for hospitality has to do with having a perspective of family with one another and love. The second half of the word, the conjunction, is the word xenos. Have you heard of xenophobia before? Xenophobia is the fear of strangers. It's the fear of foreigners. So uh, brotherly love for the foreigner is what hospitality means. And then he says, if you go on a little further, he says, offer hospitality. How? Are you looking in your Bibles? How are you supposed to do it? Without what? Without grumbling. This word grumbling only shows up in the New Testament a couple of times. One is in Acts chapter 6, where the Greek Jews are grumbling against the Hebraic Jews. So the kind of grumbling he's talking about is a kind where you're just kind of like, 
I don't really like that person. And that person's just different. And, like, that's the grumbling that he's referring to. You, you don't get to do that as a Christian. You don't get to pick and choose and then decide to show love to one or the other based upon how you feel. Love, and this is the next thing I want you to see. He says it earlier in verse 8. Love covers a multitude of sins. The, the word there in Greek is plethora. Plethora is, we, is the word that we get uh, in English. It covers a plethora of sins. It's like my wife's... Um, um, Thank you, George. Pumpkin spice fall candle. So uh, we're having my my sister over, and so she put this little candle in right by the doorway, right? Now, our house has a lot of smells. Um, We have a 12-year-old sneakers right by the door, so there's that smell. Uh, We have little dogs that like to leave little gifts for us throughout the house. There's that smell. And sometimes if you're cooking chicken, you throw it in the trash and don't take it out. There's that smell. But do you know what pumpkin spice does? It covers it all. It's amazing. You you can be two blocks down the road and smell (laughs) the pumpkin spice coming from that candle. Listen now, that's what love is like. You, You have sin in your life you have sin in your home and guess what it stinks it reeks and you know you can't hide it it's there but do you know what makes it almost invisible it just covers it over it's love love does this and this is the lesson that peter had to learn by bridging the gap between jew and gentile his command to the church is love one another and then he gives an adjective hospitality to describe that kind of love. So where bias shows up in your life, the answer is love. Lastly, and by the way, let me just say one last thing. The way it's applied here, if you look again in verse 8, he says, above all, love each other deeply. The word there in Greek is continual, and the root of it means stretching out like this. That's what the word means. So love for the Christian begins in the church. This is where it begins, and it ought to look like this. Always stretching out. Always reaching. That's the root of what that word constantly, or uh, as it's here in the NIV, deeply is. All right, moving on. Lastly, when you're facing a loss of control, when in your life you feel like, I don't have control over this. I don't know what's going to happen next. Remember, that's what Jesus was saying to Peter. I must go to Jerusalem, be handed over, and killed. Peter was like, ah, we're not doing it your way. We're going to control this thing and do it right. When you have that same temptation in your life, the answer is trust. The answer is trust. And this is what Peter says at the end, starting in verse 11, or sorry, verse 10. He says, each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. Watch this, verse 11. If anyone speaks, he should do so as one speaking the words of God. When I get up to preach, I have to trust that God's going to deliver his words to you. As you know, I'm not silent. (laughs) But I trust that God will speak. When when he says, look what he says next. When you serve, in the middle, do it with the strength God provides. I I can't sign up for that ministry because I don't think I'll have time or I'll be able to do it. Who are you looking at? You're looking at self when you make those types of excuses. Peter's answer to you when you feel like you might not have control or you might not have the ability is to say, do it anyways. 
and trust that God will give you the words and that God will give you the strength. So, just in review, when you face fear, what should you do? Let's, no, fear is the first one. Say it with me. When you face fear, you should pray. When you face bias, number two, you should love. And lastly, when you face loss of control, you and I need to what? Trust. Good. Let me end with this. Sometimes I really wish people grew faster. I wish Peter grew faster. I wish I grew faster. I was uh, last night out in the field hunting with my son and I was looking at an oak tree and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to watch the oak tree grow. (laughs) And I couldn't see it grow because growth for an oak tree happens very slowly. But if you you look at a cross-section, if you look at the journey that it's been on, you'll see some cracks and you'll see that very slowly but very steadily over time by God's faithfulness, the growth and the maturing shows up. And so my challenge just to leave you with is that as you examine the cracks that are in your life, do not forget what Peter started with in verse 7. So just real quick, one last time. Do you remember what he started with in verse 7? He said, the end of all things is near. And here's my challenge, church. You may think, oh, I got plenty of time. I don't need to hurry. There's less time now than there was for Peter. And even then he said, now's the end. So by God's mercy and grace in your life, can you and I start to address some of our cracks and maybe by his mercy start to grow beyond them? Where you find fear, let's pray together. Where you find bias in your life, let's love one another deeply, stretching out constantly. And where we feel like we don't have the ability, let's trust that God will provide. Amen? Let's pray this morning.